All right, everybody. Well, welcome to or welcome back to TBN, Tuesday Bro Newsday. We've gone through a lot of changes over here on this stream, but what we do now is we unpack the news uh, or sometimes have a very special guest as it relates to the world of vaping, tobacco, tobacco control, tobacco harm reduction, smoking, nicotine addiction, and the such as. I'm your uh, bad libertarian, freedom-loving host, uh, Grim Green. Uh, we don't have any Danielle Jones today, unfortunately. She's feeling a little bit under the weather. So if you guys want to send Danielle Jones some love there, she would sure appreciate that. But uh, as you can see, we have a very special guest today. We have uh, Charles Gardner, Ph.D. Um, Charles and our paths crossed, I believe, on Twitter and... Uh, I've been following Charles for quite a long time, but welcome, Charles, to the show. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for making the time. Yeah, thank you, Grim. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, uh, we're here today to talk about vaping uh, as it relates to the world of uh, tobacco control and things like that. Um, Charles has a, uh, you know, a long resume of uh, accomplishments and things like this, and you've been in this space much longer than I have. So run down your resume here. What, what, what are your qualifications here, Charles? No, actually, <laughs> let, me defer to, let me defer to you because oh, okay. you've, been in, you've been in the um, safer nicotine space much longer than I have. Okay. Well, that, from, it's only the past three years, and okay. so it's been a very steep uh, learning curve. It is. It is. And, I mean, yes, I am old. And I That's go back not what I was implying. <laughs> 25 years in uh, public health, yeah, or more specifically, global health, and so and and even more, the subset of that, which is global health research. Okay. And so, um, but most of my background is it's been on you know HIV and TB and sure, malaria, sure, water sanitation and hygiene and dengue and rabies and yes nutrition child health and um so i uh, that that gigantic letter p letter h letter d and the gigantic and uh, the intro um is um is in developmental neurobiology i studied how the brain develops which actually turns out to be very relevant to nicotine yes and uh in embryos Right. So fascinating how the human brain develops. But of course, that was not in I didn't experiment on human embryos. It was in animal models. Sure. So actually also very familiar with the differences and the, and the similarities between, you know, what you find in, a, you know, studying a mouse or studying a chicken. Sure. Uh, in Is an egg and or uh, and humans. So then, uh, and I, I worked on the Hill for a little while, so I was, uh, for two years, I was working for a, a subcommittee in the House uh, sure, of Representatives, sure. and then uh, I moved on to the National Institutes of Health, and, but most of my career then, subsequently, has been focused on international or global health. Global health, yeah. Well, that's quite, yeah. A, that's quite, a, that's quite a rap sheet. You have a lot of... Uh, long list of credentials there and so you said you got into the oh you do don't be modest don't be shy you got you said you got into the, like the safer nicotine vape space a few years ago three years ago 
Yeah, so uh, a little bit more than 15 years ago, I was uh, an associate director for health equity in the Rockefeller Foundation. And in a change of leadership in the health program there, a man named Derek Yak came in as the director of the program. And mm -hmm. so he was a boss and Derek and I got along very well. And we uh, published a paper together on health innovation to help low and middle income countries, mm -hmm. which really focused on, on really focused on how paternalistic most of our development efforts are in health and especially health research when it comes to those poor brown people in those poor countries. Sure, sure. And it was really focused on, no, they can invent stuff too. And really the most effective innovation tends to come from the places where the problem is. Yes. So strengthening that capacity. So anyway, so we, we got along because Derek is from South Africa. Sure. You know, I'm just a white guy. What do I know? But yeah. it's also he's just a white guy. But anyway, so we, we, we were we were on the same wavelength there. And um, and we published that with a, a delightful, intelligent woman named Tara Acharya, who's originally from India. Mm -hmm. And so um, then uh I left the Rockefeller Foundation. I went on to do other things, including mm. working for the World Health Organization. Mm. Eric went on to do other things. Um, and then this um, extremely controversial foundation was created mm -hmm. about three and what is it now? Three years and two, three months ago. Sure, sure. Um, I got back in touch with him. So I ended up working there for, for some time. But at the at the time, I knew nothing about tobacco control. Interesting. Nothing. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, when I was kind of thrust into this, um, just kind of picked it up as a cause because I believed in the product so much. I when got. Was that? How long ago was that? This was. I, so I mean, this kind of started when I first started vaping, and I got my first vape in 2009. I was a January, you know, New Year's resolution uh, quitter. I was determined to quit in January, and so I bought a really expensive e-cig from eBay, and uh, it worked pretty good, but I didn't quit, and then it's whatever. I got a few more devices and, and, and quit around March of 2009, and then later that year, um, California announced uh, a, a statewide vape ban, and uh, it, it was just one of these things that was... You know, no fanfare, no nothing. It was just a statewide vape ban, and it's going to be voted on. It's going to pass. You know, it's whatever. And so I saw this happen. I went, oh, okay. So I got on YouTube, and you can go find these really old videos of me on YouTube going, I don't know what's happening in California. I think they're trying to ban vapes. We probably need to do something, right, if we want to keep using these in California. And I don't know what we can do. Like, this is pre-Casa, pre-Safada, pre-any orgs or anything like that. And so thankfully... Uh, we had Governor Arnold at the time, the governor, and <laughs> really? yeah, he's a, he was, he's a cigar enthusiast. And when the yes. bill got to his desk, he vetoed it and said, Californians should be able to enjoy tobacco or nicotine or cigars. We live in a free country. I'm vetoing this legislation. It was like, whoo, like I have, I felt this huge sigh of relief and I thought, wow, this is, this is going to be just the beginning, right? 
This is going to be an uphill battle for as long as anybody wants to use these products. And so it was really very early on in my, in my introduction to vaping that I knew I was going to have to defend it. Just the feeling I got. I thought, yeah, I just saw what happened in California. It was completely out of my control. Luckily, we had a great governor, but it's going to be an uphill battle. And so it's been 12 years of uphill battleness. That was a good prediction. It was a pretty, unfortunately, it was a pretty good prediction. And I made some predictions really early on too that are kind of coming true when I was talking about how uh, I said in, in 2010, I said, the FDA isn't ever going to ban vaping. I think they're just going to make it as difficult as possible for you to vape. 10 years later, 12 years later, I feel like Here that's exactly what's going on right now. They won't come out and just ban it but they are going to make it really difficult for you. And I feel like that's worse. Mm. <laughs> I feel like that's much worse. Yeah. So, I mean, so that's how long I've been doing there is, this. <laughs> there, you, well, you, you saw things coming and I, and I, um, I have to say, I, I have been really privileged to talk to a lot of serious, um, people from the drug harm reduction field. Mm, yeah. Yes. Over the past few years, um, like Ethan Nadelman, Alex mm -hmm. Wodak, and others, mm -hmm. and uh, I've and Jerry Stimson. Mm -hmm. I've learned so much from these people. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the one of the things I have had to learn from them is that there's no magic bullet. There's no way to tilt the needle completely in, you know, one day, there's no, there's no argument you can make. Yeah. And instead it, 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 it it's going to take years yes. of effort. Yeah. And to some extent it's going to take like, look, look what happened to cannabis. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. I will use the, that example all the, all, the all the time. Boomers grew up and they knew it wasn't really that harmful and now we're legalizing it. Yeah. And okay. So, you know, I would hate to think that we have to wait 20 years. Yeah. How long is it going to take this or, time? <laughs> I mean, actually, most, I would say, I, I wish we had the numbers, but I, I would say probably well over 90% of the people who actually own a device in the United States are adults. Yeah, uh, easily. I mean, this is back to the envelope for me. I mean, I, I have made the calculations, but it's, you know, a, a Gallup poll or a, a Gallup like poll could, could, could get these, this, um, easily. And, yeah. but we don't have it. We don't have it. Well, but, and, I mean, um, so I think it was you saying this on Twitter about big tobacco, like big tobacco has these numbers that they could easily release showing what vaping has done to their business, how many vapes they're selling compared to cigarettes, their cigarette production volume. I mean, this is all verifiable, right. but they you know. That's another rabbit hole, which I, um, <laughs> I think is a valid rabbit hole. Um, Sorry, and I have to defer to a man who is much smarter than me, a guy named David Sweener, mm -hmm. on that. Um, and so it's something we've discussed. And uh, I, so just to segue into that, it, it is the, I mean, the tobacco companies are not stupid. No. They're, they're really smart. Yes. They are monitoring 
market forces all the time. Mm -hmm. And they have the data. Actually, they have the data from which the market analysts like at um, Wells Fargo and um, what's the other one? Chase. The big, big, the big Chase. bank. Um, Goldman anyway, Sachs. So, <laughs> Goldman Sachs. There you go. So that they, you know, they basically they're getting a lot of their data from the tobacco companies, not all. Um, every market analyst on earth sees product substitution, and this is economics 101. Mm -hmm. It's like digital cameras replacing film, film cameras. 100 percent. It's 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 pretty basic stuff. It's basic and it's verifiable. I mean, and you can see this happening. We talked about this a little bit last week on, uh, in Massachusetts, how they enacted their flavor ban. And now the surrounding states to Massachusetts are experiencing a tobacco boom because everyone's just right. going across right. the border to, to buy all their flavored cigarettes and vape gear. That's uh, smuggling for you. Yeah. <laughs> Massachusetts so, is like number three in the country right now for cigarette smuggling. Right. Um, but the, um, the thing is, uh, an argument could be made that perhaps the tobacco companies have ex have very, very strong data mm -hmm. showing this product substitution going on, mm -hmm. number one. And number two, and this is, I'm going to criticize them, mm. that... They don't want to push that data out there. Why? Because it would spook their investors. Why? Because when you produce a cigarette, it costs you pennies and you sell it for dollars. Mm -hmm. The markup on a, a tobacco cigarette is enormous. Yeah, it's incredible. It's unlike any other consumer product on earth. No, it's the ultimate margin. I mean, they found the, the ultimate markup, margins. The margin on an e-cigarette is actually quite low. Yes. And these companies are, they're often selling the devices at lower than it costs to manufacture them. Right? So, I mean, Just they're, to get they're it to expecting people. to make their money on, on, the, on the pods. On the pods, right. So, that, so it's like making a, an inkjet printer um, and making money on the toner. Right, and selling the printer for nothing. Selling the printer for nearly nothing. Or yeah. it's the... You know, Eastman Kodak uh, pioneered this business strategy in 1910 with a brownie camera. Produced the camera, sold it for less than it cost to make, and made money developing the film for, for customers. Oh. Oh. And every year they produced a brownie camera that had better features, and they lower, every year they lowered the cost. This is what they're doing. and so But, but the markup on these safer nicotine products is much less than cigarettes substantially so it is, it is going to cannibalize the sale of big tobacco's main cash cow and yes. here's the thing people in public health every one of them needs should be required to go back to school and take economics 101 mm -hmm. to understand product substitution <laughs> uh supply and demand yeah the most basic aspects of of what's really going on here yeah because they are all telling us that e-cigarettes are a gateway to smoking right and uh, i mean the bummer part of that is n none of the evidence shows that all of it shows product substitution 
I mean, nearly well, the, all of it shows product substitution. The, the evidence shows uh, associations between lots of the adult illegal things that teens do. Yes. <laughs> and, and this is, uh, as you know, this is common liability. So that uh, I, I would have, it's not politically correct, but the bad kids do bad things. And yeah. And Kids who do one bad thing. I did bad things when I was a kid. Sure. I did a few things. I did bad things when I was a kid. I did reckless things when I was a kid. You ever played car tag? You shouldn't because it's super dangerous. But that's what we did. Car tag? Car tag, yeah. Were you on top of a car? Okay, so the way car tag works, and don't, nobody play car tag. Uh, my friends in high school, we grew. I grew up in Lake Tahoe, California, so it's, you know, paradise, right? Just alpine lakes and trees. And, um, and so all my friends had Jeeps like old CJ5s and CJ7s with the tops off because that's you drove around the lake with the top off your Jeep. So the way that it worked is you had uh, a, a pilot, was a driver, you had uh, your passenger, and then you had a guy in the back with a football. And if you saw another car in the game zone area, which was our neighborhood late at night, if you threw the football and you hit that car, they had to stop, go get the football, and now they're it. And the other cars go... <laughs> Super dangerous, blowing through stoplights and stops. I know. So, yeah, we did some dangerous stuff when we were young. I think that's just I, I, part of being young. I grew up in, in uh, Michigan, and in the wintertime, it snows there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so at 16, 17, 18, uh, the thing to do was to take your dad's car, car out into a big, empty parking lot after a snow and make it spin around. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Donuts. Completely out of control. Yeah. And I, there are at least three times in my life I have thanked God that I did that, <laughs> I, because I know exactly what's going to happen when a car is out of control. Right. Right. That's true. Hitting a patch of ice on a bridge. Yep. Um, but it's it's like in, it becomes instinctual. Yes. So everybody should be required to take their dad's car car and out. Go do donuts snow, in the snow. Spin it around. Yeah. Because it's, it's yeah. Good. We used to do that too. And and I smoked cigarettes. I started in seventh grade. Peer pressure. Just smoking oh, cigarettes. It's very, it's very early. Yeah. Now you are an ex-smoker turned vapor. I mean, Correct. is this something you know? I don't know. Is this something you broadcast? But I've seen you take a few toots, and I know I know that you vape. Did you, are you comfortable talking about smoking? Yeah, but I'm a, I'm a real outlier. I started smoking when I was about 31. Oh, interesting. What, and what, what drove you to, to smoking? Was it uh, like a, a stressful life situation? I mean, that's usually what I hear. Broken heart. Broken heart, yeah. Oh, that'll do it. <laughs> oh, that'll do so, it. <laughs> I had had a few cigarettes off and on before that, especially sure. in my early 20s. I thought it was cool when I traveled to uh, Mexico and I traveled around Mexico for a month when I was 23. And there's just a lot of sitting around time when you're waiting for this, the third class bus to come. Sure. Uh, with your backpack. And so, you know, then I could just sit there and I could actually look like I was doing something. Sure. 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 And yeah. So, um, but um, but I, but I, I came back and, and simply stopped smoking because that wasn't a thing I did back in my real life. Sure, sure. 
Sure. And then I started smoking at, at 31, and I stopped about 20 years later. Oh, that's well, that's interesting. I I feel like you're you are very much an outlier. I feel like that's a pretty rare thing. It is because most people begin uh, smoking in their actually teens or early teens. Yeah. If, if they're going to be a smoker, they, they start early. For me, it was seventh grade, and I believe still to this day that I had a, a predilection to, to smoking. I, no one in my family smoked. My, none of my parents smoked. My brother didn't smoke. Yeah. Nobody smoked, but I was fascinated by it. It was one of those things. It's like a little kid being obsessed with dinosaurs or Godzilla or something. I wanted to smoke. I wanted to inhale. I wanted to do it. I just felt this desire and I felt like I was predisposed to be a smoker because as soon as I had the chance in seventh grade I was like yeah let's smoke smoke it up peer pressure smoke it my my father smoked two packs a day and there there is a lot of data showing that of the inter intergenerational transmission you should be a smoker right well yeah but I I actually I used to I used to hide his cigarettes Mm. Mm -hmm. and he, he did not find that very funny, and but um, I kind of gave in, but he, he eventually died of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease ah. about eight, I guess it's eight years ago. Um, so, I, you know, I have all of that, that example to think about. That's a really bad way to go. That's a really yeah. bad way to go. No, that's okay. It's really bad. Yeah, that is... Um... It, it, like, un- unless you've seen ah. that happen... You have no idea. I, I, I haven't. And all I've heard, because being in this space now, that's all I'm consumed with. It's like blinders on. I think about smoking and I hear and, and cigarettes and people quitting. And I've, I've heard over the years all, all every story imaginable about I tried to get my dad to switch to vaping, um, but we, he couldn't make the switch. And, and then he died of COPD. And I'm like. It just it's stories like that that are just heartbreaking. And I think the government didn't want your dad vaping anyway. <laughs> Clearly, the government didn't want your dad vaping anyway. So that kind of so all, Ricardo you know, Pelosa is one of the top researchers in this field. Yes, based big fan. Tanya in Sicily. And so he's he had a, a three year study looking at smokers with COPD who mm-hmm. made the switch to e-cigarettes and consistently they, they had lung improvements. Yep. Now they, they technically, they didn't approve, did not improve lung function. They improved quality of life and, and they improved a number of measures, um, outside of the, the, the official measure of lung function, which mm-hmm. might be lung capacity and, and things like that. I, I re- I did a kind of crazy survey on Twitter, about a year and a half ago that just asked ex smokers who vape how long they could hold their breath (laughs) because, because I had come across an article, uh, that, that said the average smoker can only hold their breath for 30 seconds. Oh, that's interesting. Vapors can hold their breath on average for a lot longer than that. Personally, I can hold my breath. Um, to be humble, I would say more than two minutes, and but, but actually, well, I got up to three minutes when my when my son asked me how long you can <laughs> hold your breath. So I have, I guess I have good lung capacity, but I also just did a Twitter survey uh, just a little while ago, and, and you know, unfortunately, uh, only about two hundred 
respondents, um, but this was for smokers with COPD. Okay. Ninety percent of them have seen their health improve. Yeah. Seen their COPD symptoms reduce, it's... and more than sixty percent said reduced dramatically. Symptoms reduced dramatically. Yeah, I, I, I and mean, that's that's a miracle, Charles. That is a miracle, and is a miracle product. I mean, saying miracle kind of downplays it almost a little bit too. Right, but but ninety nine percent of the researchers in this business are given grants to find harms. Well, okay, let's talk about this for a second because I wrote down finding harms. What is this? What is this desire to want to find something wrong with this that's helping so many people? I mean, other than ego or control or something like that, what what is this vendetta to find like the? I mean, and recently we saw, you know, brain fog, right? Brain fog. Oh, it might cause brain fog. And I tweeted the other day and I said, smoking causes this, this, you know, but be afraid of vaping because it might cause brain fog. Definitely be afraid of vaping because it might cause whatever vague thing brain fog is. Well, I mean, smoking is, I'm sorry, vaping is associated with brain fog because people who have brain fog are more likely to vape. Yeah, well, and that's, that's, that's a different issue. The, <laughs> yes. the direction of causation is is uh, is is in question here. But the um, you know the the research community um, we're talking many many hundreds thousands of people, and you need to understand that most of them started out in in their careers as researchers, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. researching deadly combustible tobacco cigarettes or combustible tobacco. Yes. And so, you know, it's one of those, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail kind of thing. (laughs) Yep. But it's also the $713 million that funnel through the FDA Primarily, they do their own surveys, and some of it goes to the CDC for their surveys, like the National Youth Tobacco Survey. But most of it ends up in the National Cancer Institute, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, and the National Heart, um, NHLBI, National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute. They just love acronyms, man. They give out competitive grants. Uh, and the and the res- and the researchers who were working on tobacco. deadly tobacco cigarette research make a, a quick transition, assuming that e-cigarettes are going to be just the same. Right. And so there, there. That's one of the problems, but it's it's only one of the problems. And by the way, they're all training the next generation of tobacco control researchers. Yeah. As as we speak. It seems like when they don't find enough harm, they they try to double down and and try to find some more harm or they, uh, you know, I feel like everything gets exaggerated, you know. Perfect example, the most reprehensible example of this that I've seen in the past couple of weeks um, uh, is from um, the National Heart Association. Uh. Yeah, what did they say? So they they put out a press release about 
two, three, three weeks ago, maybe, uh, based on research that they and their own researchers, they had funded and that their own researchers had conducted. And the research found that um, biomarkers for heart health in exclusive vapors are indistinguishable from never smokers. Yes. No, I'm not surprised by this information at all, but how did they spin it? But what was their headline? <laughs> I, what was it? The headline was people who vape and smoke ah. have, as, have as much risk as people who there smoke. There it is. That's the headline. That's And that was the headline that was, because it's a press release, that was the headline that was repeated in dozens and dozens of articles and papers. Yep. But what, what they were logically saying was people who vape and juggle live hand grenades. <laughs> right, right. Or, or, or kiss cobras. Right. Have as much risk as people who juggle live hand grenade, grenades or kiss cobras. Right. That, that, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost a nonsensical thing, but it was, a, it was a way to find a way to convey a message of harm. Right. You, you, when in fact they found zero harm, yes. zero heart harm. Yes, they use, you know, and this is something uh, I, I'm sure you're familiar with Michelle Mitten. She's one of my uh, heroes from the CEI. And she always talked about like they use the scariest sounding language that they can. Yeah. They present that in the scariest way possible. You know, we don't get like concise uh data or anything we get targeted messaging you know we get focus group tested messaging mm -hmm. and that's in I, I and i can't stand that <laughs> and that's where you know this missing what, what did you call it misinfodemic 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 that's where this comes from i mean it all starts with yeah. how how the media types their headlines Right. So the, the scary word addiction tests well in focus groups. So they, they, they push that. Yes. The uh, brain harms tested really well in focus groups. Epidemic. So there's well. absolutely no human evidence that nicotine harms developing brains. And remember, I'm a developmental neurobiologist. Yes. <laughs> what would you know? You're just a neurodevelopmental yeah. neurobiologist. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's no human evidence for that. And it's, it's, uh, you know, there, there, God, there's just so, so here's the way I look at this group. Yeah. They've erected an intricate house of cards. Each of those cards is a myth. Yes. An exaggeration. Yes. Or a flat out lie. Yes. And, and most of the people who, believe in that house of cards are not even aware because they haven't gone back to the foundational research about nicotine's addictiveness or, you know, or, you know, and, and they, and, or they will simply ignore the research that doesn't fit their, um, group think. Yeah. They're, it's like their whole narrative. I mean, and you see other groups do this too, where they constantly yeah. will just push, whatever weird fringe science or like that Stanton glance, uh, retracted study that was talking about heart attacks and how vapors were having heart attacks before they started vaping and it got, uh, retracted. And that 
but that's still out there. You know, it gets announced with a, with you know, with grandiose. Look at this big headline, and then when it needs to get fixed or corrected, it's kind of like a little. Right. Don't worry about it. It's you know. Yeah, actually, there was a Jonathan Swift mm -hmm. quote. Mm -hmm. I forget what it, I forget how it goes now. Basically, um, you know, basically lies fly out um, faster than you can think, and the and the and the. The truth comes limping after it yes. and, and, and is ignored. Um, but they use that. They actually, there's it, it a deliberate effort going yeah. on. Um, and it's based on some sort of a priori uh, idea that uh, safer nicotine products must be an evil plot from big tobacco, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, and, but the thing is, you know, the truth will out eventually. Yes. I mean, a hundred percent. And I've been saying that for years is they can't, they, they can't keep running from the science. They try and they, they get pretty far, but they can't keep running from it. It just keeps building up and it just becomes more and more, you know, more and more evident of the efficacy of these products. It's, there's going to be like a turning point. You can, isn't there a way to, well, there's a way on Google to, to look to pull up graphs of searches, right? Sure. Do I remember that? Sure. And, then, and but like search um, like uh, searched phrases and stuff like this. Is there a way to do that on Twitter? Uh, I not that I have seen. I've seen. So, well, I might have to look through my bookmarks, but there was a study done recently on Twitter about uh, uh, language used during Evali. Someone did a did a research paper. Uh, yeah. uh, did you see this as well? Like during the Ivali thing, familiar. they were talking about how uh, the keywords like "vaping saves lives" was tweeted this many times in relation right. to this, or this. You know, using the hashtag, it was the THC carts was tweeted this many times. Yeah, I believe the authors were assuming that everybody who tweeted about that was working for right. uh, tobacco or, or, or some sort of bot or, or something right. in the such as. But with Google searches, I think there's a way to, to, to instantly pull up graphs mm -hmm. of, of how um, searches have changed over time. And that actually is very instructive. It would be interesting, and there must be some way to do this on Twitter, because you could look at... Um, I would say last year, the mentions of a teen vaping epidemic nope. was it's that, you know, those mentions were themselves epidemic. Right. And, and they've mysteriously disappeared now. Yes. In, in the past few months. Why? Because teen vaping in the United States anyway, dropped 29% between November, uh, between 2019 and March, 2020. 2020. And there is a study in the Journal of the American Medical Association showing that teen vaping or youth vaping dropped another 32% during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But what do we hear? Now, those, those are not additive. Those are two different surveys. But if you add them up, that's a 52% drop in two years. Sure. And, which but... is consistent with a fad. It is not consistent with a highly you know, addictive substance Yes. Being used. And, and so suddenly they're not talking about the vaping epidemic much. Although, by the way, I have to say the New York Academy of Sciences is holding a symposium tomorrow 
on the teen vaping epidemic. Oh, they use the word, the terminology epidemic. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. It's probably organized months ago. So that, but they're, right. they're stuck, but they have all the usual suspects, Bernie Helpham Fisher and Matt Myers. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Um, Bonnie Fleischer. She's Bonnie. She's yeah. something else. Bonnie. I've never seen someone so against uh, harm reduction as that. It's person. a puzzle. <laughs> it's puzzling. It's often a chat. Are you losing me? Yeah, it's okay. You got me back? Yeah, you came back. I often want to just sit down with some of these people and have a, have a polite evidence-based chat. Wouldn't that be so delightful? It would, it would be nice. Uh, David Abrams and, uh, and others at, the, at New York University had a meeting about two years ago in the fall um, where there actually were people from both sides. Okay. It's, the, it's really the first and only time I've seen people from both sides of this debate. Whereas in, in most of public health, they won't even acknowledge that there is a debate, right. a, legit, a legitimate debate. Which they're deaf. Now, do you think this is like, I mean, this the hardest part, is changing people's minds and I find it difficult to change just Dave, the average American's mind about vaping how, how, this uphill battle of trying to change an established scientist or an established doctor who they've been in this, you know, their own trench of tobacco control for so long, changing their minds almost seems impossible. Yeah, I would hate to think that we have to wait for them to die uh, before <laughs> no. change. But it almost what it feels yeah. like. It almost feels. I mean, obviously the David and Goliath analogy works, but it's like David is us, and we're a speck, and Goliath is Bloomberg, holding a, a, a an extra large, extra sugary soda. It's just. It seems overwhelming. I um, I, I am often reminded of. The debate um, 400 years ago between people who thought that the Earth does not move, yep, and the Moon and the Sun and the planets and the stars all go around the Earth, yeah. Uh, and then along comes Copernicus and then Galileo and and um, but it took more than a hundred years for for minds to even begin to change. Yeah, to even be open to the idea of changing, and in universities in Europe, they didn't begin teaching the heliocentric model until the early 1800s. Really? Really. Wow. And then we could get into the 1920s and the 1930s um, and a, a field of junk science called Lysenkoism in the Soviet Union. Okay. Never heard of this. This is fascinating. They rejected, it rejected evolution. Oh, okay. <laughs> It was, it was like Lamarckian. You could you have acquired traits. The entire agricultural system of the Soviet Union was based on this, which is one of the reasons that it failed. Right. And um, and then there's an even worse field called racial hygiene. That just sounds like something we shouldn't be talking about to begin with, Charles. <laughs> in the night, but but think, but okay. So in the 1920s okay. and 1930s. Yeah. Major foundations were supporting 
research on racial hygiene in the United States. And this was a field of science that said basically some people are better than others. And what we really need to do is to tweak breeding and sterilize people who are not worthy oh. to breed. Ah, good. There, there were peer-reviewed journals. There were scientific meetings. Uh, there, was a, there was a professional society. Wow. Humans are, are capable of that kind of group think veering off into, into craziness. And I, 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 it's, a, it's a pretty strong accusation for me to make, but it, I often think of these examples and I know that we can, we can screw up yeah. uh, in, in these kind of ways. And, and then I guess the next step would be to say, well, what, what lessons can you learn for how those junk science fields were de debunked? Mm -hmm. And there's another one called phrenology from the 19th century. Was where this with the head? We could measure, yeah, the bumps, yeah, on, the your, bumps on your head. head. I remember see, that. There's a bump here if to, for your criminality yeah. and there's a bump for your whatever. The compassion bump? Nonsense. Yeah. Nonsense. I'm yep. sure your bumps are really nice, though. Yeah, they are. I have a big compassion bump over here, too. For sure. <laughs> um, so, you know, how in, in the end, I don't I would like to speak to to historians of science who who've looked at those fields to see how were they debunked? And, and I but I'm pretty sure what they would tell me is it just took time. Yeah. Yeah. It took time for minds to change one by one. Yeah. Well, and it's and that's that's actually happening now. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is. And I think I think one of the things that I like to double down on and I feel like we need to double down on is as THR advocates is two things like joining the, the bigger fight of harm reduction as far as like drug harm reduction and things like this uh, e easily associatable and relatable to nicotine vapor products um, and that and teaching people, and I don't know how you do this, convince people, teach people just to think critically. I think, th I feel like that's where all the wheels fall off the wagon every single time is right. people's inability to think critically. And I, you know, I have one of my heroes, uh, Penn Jillette from the comedy magic duo, Penn and Teller. Yeah, I love them. I love them. I love Penn Jillette. He's, he's my hero. But when I listened to his podcast, when I was really young in my early twenties, he was all about like, thinking critically, being skeptical about things, being open-minded, but not so open-minded that your brains fall out. And he taught me like thinking critically is an important thing. And so I try to apply that to what I do and what I read and what I say, but it's hard to have that discussion with someone that isn't thinking critically or thinking bigger picture or being skeptical of something. And so I think yeah, those no, are- You do a great job of it. Um, and I thank you for everything that you do. Well, I thank you. I try my best. Thank you for everything you do. I saw, you know, when I posted this on Twitter, people were saying that, well, Charles Gardner, he's the, he's the, you know, the tireless vape advocate, just the most dedicated <laughs> advocate on Twitter. Um, tireless, obsessive, tire addicted tweeter. Yeah. Addicted tweeter. But that's good. I mean, and that's what we need. And I've been trying, do you think like 
do you feel like Twitter is a good platform for advocates to be active on? I've always thought it was, and I've been trying to get people onto Twitter saying like, hey, look, you can tweet right at Mike Bloomberg if you want to. I, I, I think it is, but, I, you know, it has, it has its faults. Sure. But I sure. Think it's also a way, it's a way for us to organize ourselves. Mm-hmm. For those of us who have lived experience, I'm a former smoker. I switched to, say, for nicotine alternatives, and I feel much better. Yeah. I haven't had a cold or a flu in years. <laughs> and I, I can't even, if I had a dollar for every time somebody told me that, yeah. I would be uh, as wealthy as Michael Bloomberg. Yeah, well, maybe. So. <laughs> maybe. So I might, there might be some exaggeration <laughs> there. But, it, but it, it's, it's a way for us to organize. And it, it, yeah. it helps that process, but it's not the only way. And in the end, um, users, we are users. Just like uh, a coffee drinker is a caffeine user. user. We are users. Yeah. And users have organized in the past. Right? And, and uh, to their benefit and to their credit. And we need to learn from them and the harm reduction folks and also folks from the um, early days of the HIV AIDS epidemic. Yeah. People in ACT UP. Yeah. Because they were in your face. Mm -hmm. But they were also behind the scenes, measured and evidence based. Yep. And there were people in ACT UP who marched into Tony Fauci's office and and had a sit down and you know what he listened to them now you couldn't do that now because the security at the national institutes of health right after september 11th is um sky high so you 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 can't you can't have a demonstration in front of building one on the nih campus as they did yeah and they set they set up tombstones and they had in fact they had um, smoke billowing out. Right. It was all the people dying of HIV. Well, we, we, I, I don't know what the 2021 version yeah. of that is. And, I, and I'm not advocating that that is the only route forward, but it is one of the routes that we need to think about because they're not listening to us. Yeah. I mean, and that's the that's the most frustrating part is not feeling like you're having your voice heard at all, you know. No. And that was one of the things that I really liked about that big first rally that we had in Washington D.C. was, for the first time ever, I felt like we are organized right now. Look at all of these people; they are all here for the same reason. This is incredible. I mean, I had never seen anything like that because generally. You know, on the internet, it, you're trying to motivate people. It's like, do you want to, you know, do this call to action and you get some people to do it, but you have to like drill it. Like, please do this call to action. Please do this call to action. Please do this call to action. And a lot of it's like burnout and, uh, you know, just getting tired of hearing the same doom and gloom over and over and over and over again. But that rally, that was, you know, I feel like I wish we could have kept that momentum going instead of having that be like the big thing. And then we all got tired after that. 
Well, there was a pandemic. Yeah, I mean, there was a pandemic. And we did try to have a second rally that I attended that wasn't the same as the first rally. No, there were other plans that I think also got postponed because of the epidemic Mm -hmm. or pandemic. But um, there were probably, what would you say, 3,000 people there? Yeah, easily. Easily 3,000. It felt bigger than that. It's a start. Yeah. It's a start. And, And it was... It was tempered. It was polite. It was um, very tempered. No, none of us marched to the Capitol. Nope. And or or none of us stormed the White House. Yeah. And, um, and and we need to do more of that stuff. And and any kind of demonstration, any kind of public display, um, it can it can backfire. Mm-hmm because you can lose sympathy. But on the other hand, I think a lot of, um, I think a lot of journalists saw that rally in DC. Um, and even though it was only three or 4,000 people yeah. said, wow, like what the hell are these people doing? I had no idea. Yeah. I thought the only people vaping in this country were teenagers. <laughs> right. Which is honestly, I think if you surveyed Americans, most of them would are, are they believe that probably say the same thing. Well, they probably tell you, you read the newspapers. Yeah. They'll what, tell you that you only kids are vaping. They'll tell you that nicotine causes cancer. There are some doctors in the United States that will tell you that nicotine causes cancer, which what I, I'm not right, a doctor, but I, I know that nicotine isn't a carcinogen. That's not rocket right. surgery. Yeah, actually at the, um, World Health Organization's International Agency for Research on Cancer says very clearly nicotine does not cause cancer. Yes. But Rutgers, researchers at Rutgers University uh, published a paper just two months ago, a survey of American doctors, and 80% of them believe that nicotine causes cancer. And not only that, but nearly 80% of them believe it causes heart disease and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. That's, uh, so we're le- dealing with that level of misinformation, yeah. even among our health professionals, well, you should kind of throw up your hands. Like, what are we to do with that? Yeah. And I think going back to that house of cards metaphor that I raised, I think nicotine is the weakest link or the most fragile card in that house. Yes. And I think if we can find ways to pull that one out, it's Nudge going it. to make a difference. It will tilt the needle a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think so too, but it's just, and it's hard. It's just hard. I mean, everything that comes down, you know, everything this comes down to is it's just difficult because like you said earlier, you want that thing, that moment that, that, that the needle swings in the other direction, you know, you want that big Thing. You want whoever the new head of the FDA is, you want that press conference, you know, in the press room where he endorses vaping and talks about harm reduction. Like you want all this to happen all at once. And the hard, one of the hardest things I had to do was years ago, realize that that's not coming and that it's going to be this slow, slow process. And because of this slow process, everybody just gets burnt out and defeated. And even myself, I'm like, I have to take a week off of this because I can't wake up and look at Twitter and just be mad every day. 
I can't, I don't want to see tweets from the American Cancer Society saying you should not quit smoking with vapes. Right. Huge. You should not quit smoking. How do they get away with that? That is actively hurting people. That is actively causing harm to adults that smoke. Not, I mean, it's infuriating. It's a puzzle. <laughs> it's a puzzle. It's a puzzle. Well, okay, so how do we kick at that nicotine card in the House of Cards? How do we do that? What do we do? Well, we could take uh, some lessons from the cannabis fam. Sure, yeah. How did they tilt the needle? Uh, and it wasn't just that the boomers grew up and, and started legalizing because, you know, they discovered or they, they knew from direct personal experience. It's not really that harmful. Sure. Um, it was it was also the pushing of medical cannabis. Yes. Yes. Medical cannabis. So. Medi why aren't we talking about medical nicotine? Uh, I, you know, I don't know. We should be. It's a it's it's a very real thing. I mean, it's a it's a pharmaceutical drug. I mean, as far as I know, at NIH, nicotine is. It is. So um, Parkinson's. Yep. Alzheimer's. Yep. ADHD. Yep. Schizophrenia. Ulcerative colitis. Even weight loss. Uh, Tourette's. Yep. Um, uh, there's a researcher, a British researcher named Peto, who just okay. finally published the final results of the British doctor study okay. of 30,000 British doctors followed for 60 years. It is possibly the longest what? longitudinal. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. <laughs> possibly the longest longitudinal study ever conducted. 30% reduction in Parkinson's disease for smokers. Really? And if you if you then go to research in Sweden, yeah, study in 2017, more than 4,000 people who had never smoked mm -hmm. who used snus, 60% reduction in Parkinson's disease. That's incredible. And if you go to the animal models, it really looks most plausible that nicotine is the protective element. All right, so Parkinson's is only going to only going to affect one percent of us. Right. But you have somewhere between a 30 and a 60% reduction in risk if you are a daily nicotine user. Yeah. They hopefully Probably. clean nicotine user. Probably. Yeah. Well, that's true. I mean, and that's see that's another thing that I like about science is they make they put things into reasonable terms. It's like even when you're reading through the you know the Cochrane database uh, their analysis, their meta-analysis, they don't speak in like absolute terms that, you know, they say there's probable evidence that, you know, they make it very like, I don't know. Moderate certainty. Mo right, right. Moderate certainty. Moderate That's the certainty. word I was searching for. They're like, there's moderate certainty, at, you know, that shows right. this, that, and the other. And they're very conservative. They're very conservative. And I like that in some aspects because it's, it's, it's true and accurate. And then I dislike it in some aspects because then I can't go on Twitter and say, Cochrane Library says that, you know, absolutely when really, I mean, that's, we know that it is, a, it's higher than, than they're saying, but they're being conservative about it, which is, I like that. 
But I also dislike it because that's playing by the rules and other people don't play by the rules. Stanford right. can do an anonymous online survey uh, and go, oh, vaping, uh, COVID, vaping, here's the study. We'll go, put the headlines out. Right. That's not playing by the rules. We're playing by the rules. We say moderate certainty evidence. <laughs> right. You know? Right. It's frustrating. How do we not play yeah. by the rules, so but also play by the rules? On the, on the positive side, slowly, slowly, an increasing number of people in the tobacco harm reduction research field mm -hmm. are tilting toward harm reduction. Yeah. Many of them have tilted and tilted years ago, and they're just afraid to say it publicly sure. because it could be ostracized or attacked by their by their own community. Uh, that's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is groupthink. Groupthink. But the same could have been said for the people who you know were were starting to, you know, starting to think that maybe the Earth does go around the sun. Um, right. And. Um, the that's that's happening but there is also a small community of younger scientists in the tobacco harm reduction space who are actually going back to the foundational research about is is nicotine really that addictive right yes you you raised when we were discussing earlier that the um the 1988 surgeon general report yeah. on tobacco addiction I'm not going to have the language exactly right, but it basically says the processes by which nicotine may cause addiction are similar to the processes by which heroin and cocaine cause addiction. Yes. And this is routinely misquoted as nicotine is as addictive as heroin and cocaine. Mm -hmm. It's nonsense. It, it was never what the authors intended. No. Um, the Surgeon General, uh, I think it was Coop at the time, uh, himself misquoted this so that he was then misquoted in, or quoted actually in, in the newspapers. It's all BS. Hogwash. And hogwash. Hogwash. <laughs> yes. Um, and but I mean, it's dependence forming, probably sure. like caffeine is too. Sure. And but so this is this is a part of why that card in that house of cards is so fragile. Yeah. Because if you actually go back to the foundational research, it's nonsense. A rat will press a lever sixty times an hour for cocaine, and about four times an hour for nicotine. And four times an hour for saline, which is the control. <laughs> Sounds legitimate it's to like, me. It's just, they're not. They're just not really mad for nicotine. It feels. This feels. That statement feels like one of those things where they kind of just go, "We don't need to." Like everybody already thinks this. We don't need to correct this. Why would they bother correcting it? It's probably beneficial for everybody. You know, it's probably beneficial for them if everybody thinks that nicotine is as addictive as heroin or cocaine. Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah, Why bother correcting that? Why bother it's the truth? To discourage smoking. Right. It always was. Always was. It always was. Yeah. But it, and then it becomes like, uh, you know how in high school textbooks, 
if they make an error, well, that just gets repeated in the next Edition. textbook because they yep. just copy and paste and it gets repeated over and over and over again. And then, oh, even the lethal dose of nicotine. Oh, yeah. Yep. It turns out to be uh, basically an error uh, published in 1920, yeah, which was itself from some crazy study that one guy did on himself back in 1850. There's no evidence behind it. Yeah, there's no evidence. It gets repeated over and over again. That's a perfect oh, example. Well, and, you know, speak- nicotine is the most fragile. The fr- most fragile card. Their house of cards. Yeah. I, I, it's easily pushable, too, because we've been, I mean, not we, not me and you, but we, uh, the royal we, have been studying nicotine for a really long time. Oh, a lot about nicotine. We know a lot about nicotine. So much about nicotine. And now, for the first time, you know, in modern history, which is a weird thing to say, we're trying to grapple with the idea of clean nicotine divorced from tobacco, and nobody knows what to do. (laughs) So I think there's an analogy here to psilocybin. Sure, sure. Psilocybin mushrooms. I don't use it. No. Um, I did a cup twice Mm -hmm. when I was in my early 20s. Yeah. It's very pleasant, actually, but I don't do it. But it's um, it's not you know there's no secondhand mushroom. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's it's a it's a user effect. But we couldn't do any research on it for probably three decades. Was this from the just 60s? Just because it was because illicit. It's a scheduled drug. Yeah. We are only now able to do research on psilocybin, and it turns out it's really, really helpful for people with PTSD. Yeah. Really now, wouldn't it have helpful. been nice to know that uh, during the Vietnam War? Well, sure, but... <laughs> and you can't... also, it turns out to be extremely effective in helping smokers quit. I had no idea. Single-day session with a counselor. Really? And... A guided, basically a guided trip. Right. I mean, literally. Yeah. And it's it's about... 60% effective for smoking cessation. Oh, that's fantastic. That, it is fantastic. And we would have never known because it was a scheduled drug for so long that they, right. you know, we couldn't even study it. We couldn't it? do research on it. So in the same way, we're, the research that's been done on nicotine's potential health benefits for Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, Tourette's, schizophrenia, ADHD, um, ulcerative colitis, even weight loss. It's not being done by people in the tobacco control field. They don't do that because they won't look for benefits. It's being done by neuroscientists yeah. and people in the digestive uh, health you know, field. And, and so, and none of these people are really, not many of them are really talking to each other. So another, another tactic here would be to bring together people from those fields that have looked at nicotine's potential, potential yeah. health benefits. Yeah. Uh, because the evidence is actually pretty strong. Yeah. <laughs> and get them talking to each other and then scratching their heads about, wait a minute, so we're all in a room together and we all think we know this now. Right, right. Why do 80% of doctors think that nicotine causes cancer? Like the, the cognitive dissonance here yeah. is, is just 
immense. It's, it, it's immense. And it's unfortunate that it's immense on that level because when that gets down to like a population level, like a consumer level, it's just even more confusing. And we get different messages from different outlets or different health orgs or, you know, I'm not... It, so so many people are so confused these days that I don't I don't blame them in any capacity because right. it happens no. to me too and you I mean you can go on Google and Google uh you know what's the best food to eat with asthma and it'll say oh cheese dairy and milk and you go what's the worst food to eat with asthma oh avoid cheese and dairy and it's like <laughs> well, no wonder people are confused you know like, right you're getting no yeah, eggs are good for us and then eggs, and then are, eggs bad are bad for us, for us. Good sometimes they're good. Well, alcohol is bad and then alcohol is good and then alcohol is bad again. Yeah. No. So public health has lost trust. Yes. And immensely. They, it's a it's a it's a damn shame, actually. Yeah. And it's a, like just it stepping outside of the tobacco control field. It is changing the message from one decade to the next is really I, people are not stupid. No, the public is in the end. They can be misguided, but they're not stupid. Yeah, well, they can be manipulated, <laughs> you know? You can just, yeah. they can be manipulated. It's like, you know, repeating something over and over and over again doesn't necessarily make it true. And when Scott Gottlieb first announced the youth vaping epidemic, I went on YouTube and I was like, prove it. Prove the epidemic because I don't, this isn't, I don't want to just keep hearing this word without any evidence behind it. Because if you just keep saying it, People will just start believing it, and then you don't need to prove it. Epidemic tested well in focus groups. Yeah, Grim. it must have. It must have because no, it, it went over like gangbusters. Everybody right. jumped on and the so, epidemic. And here we are. Um, if teen vaping dropped 29% between 2019 and the spring of 2020. Which it did. And dropped another 32% during the pandemic up to November 2020, which is in the, the JAMA yeah. article, then, and I know those numbers are not additive because they're two different surveys, but if you add them, yep. then you get a level of current use, which is actually lower now than it was in 2015. Yeah. And that, of course, is only at least once in the past 30 days. It's mostly experimental. So, yeah. the, like, I often have this emperor's new clothes feeling. <laughs> yes. Like, I can see the emperor is naked. Yep, naked as a jaybird. <laughs> Why can't they? Yeah. And it's just because I think they, we purposefully confuse people. We purposefully confuse people in all areas and aspects of everything. And, you know, even simple things like the asthma diet question, or if you ask people. That's hysterical, by the way. It's true. It's a true thing. I, I saw it happen. <laughs> you know, if you ask people about anything, uh, a Tesla, someone will say, oh, I heard they, they it's worse in an accident if you have a Tesla. Oh, really? That's worse. Oh, worse, worse. Teslas are worse. Teslas are worse. But really, are Teslas worse? Or did you just hear that Teslas are worse and now you're confused because you're confused on purpose because there's groups of people that want to smear Tesla's name? You know, people, we just get 
everybody gets easily confused by people that shouldn't be confusing them. Right. Right. The World Health Organization shouldn't be confusing people about vaping, but they are. American Heart Association shouldn't be confusing people about vaping, but they are. Like, demonstrably, they are. How do we combat that without looking like QAnon people? Right. You know? I think it's another good example is the American Cancer Society. Uh, Yeah. Because in 2019, they took a, a really brave stance and they they actually said e-cigarettes are safer yep i remember smoking all right and that lasted for about a year and a half yep then in the middle of the so-called evali outbreak so the fall of 2019 yep and the middle of the so-called teen vaping epidemic Right. They changed their position and decided their official position was they would no longer recommend e-cigarettes yes. for, for adult smokers. But they said, if you are an adult vapor, <laughs> don't go back to smoking. Right. Yes. Yeah, we brought this up last week, and it's like that's saying that vaping's better for you than smoking without saying that vaping's Safe. better for you than smoking. Like it's like the it's like the political answer to the question. You dodged it, and you kind of answered it, and you kind of put your own spin on it all at the same time. All you have to do is look at what happens in the UK, where the government of the United Kingdom yeah. actively promotes e-cigarettes for adult smokers. They have hardly any teen vaping. Yeah. The teens are, are they're, they're seeing a barrage of advertisements of basically old farts who look like me yep. vaping. Yep. And they, they, the teens are going like, oh, I don't want to look like that. Yeah. So that's not for them. Yeah. And the teens are not smoking. They're not vaping. And here in the United States, we, we promote moral panic. Yeah, we love it. So, haven't learned a damn thing damn, from prohibition, no. from reefer madness, no. from the great comic book scare of the 1950s. The, uh, yeah. Hey, I lived through rock and roll in the 80s, man. I saw oh. D. Snyder from Twisted Sister testifying in front of Congress. Like, I, I, you know, everything, every new thing is going to ruin the youth. Your very soul was destroyed as it a was. youth. I, I can, it was. Destroyed. I can actually see it. Yeah. But I'm looking straight into your soul right rock now. Rock and roll music. Rock and roll. Yeah. It took it. Took my soul. I sold my soul to the devil because of rock and roll music. But that's the thing. It's there's always something, right? Always yeah, something. Yeah. And and as you <laughs> said before, there's hundreds of products that are for adults only that we somehow manage to, you know, here show me your ID and I'll give you this, and then that's the deal. That's the deal. Yeah. <laughs> that's the law. That's the deal. There's no. Well, this kid got this kid got a, a jewel. Well, then it's Jules' fault. Your kid didn't break the law. Didn't I think somebody smarter than me pointed out that uh, flavored alcohol um, is a yes thing that teens should not use, and and the solution is age checks. Yep, yep. Page and that tobacco cigarettes is something teens should not use and the solution is age checks mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and flavored e-cigarettes is something teens should not use and the solution is to ban them yes 
Makes logical sense. What's that somebody named? Uh, <laughs> Graham Green. That was my favorite tweet. I was really proud of that. I totally plagiarized you. You did. You totally. That's okay, though. Yeah. Was it you? Multiple times. Was it you or what's that other guy I keep seeing on Twitter? Clovis? He's a new guy. I like him. Ah. Uh, yeah. I, li- I like following him. He's a funny guy. He's really smart. Yeah. Very smart. Very well-spoken. Funny, you know? Comedic, even. I And so one of the things, I'm just going to praise you for a second, Charles. Every time something comes up in my Twitter feed uh, and it's negative anti-vaping stuff, there's a comment usually from you that's that's already there. You're like, oh, you beat me there. You already left the comment. I wanted to leave. I'll, here you go. Have a heart, you know? You do, you're always there. You're always on it. You're always there to like help. You know, I like to use the term discredit the myth making machine. And I feel like you're an, you're one of the biggest gears in the machine of discrediting those myths. And I mean, not just on a a national scale, but like on a global scale. Right. But Grim, I I, I don't want you to give me a pep. I don't want you to give me a pep no, talk. No, no, I just wanted to praise you a little bit. I, and say but, thank I'm, you. but let me just raise the question, which should not get you to do that pep talk, which is, <laughs> is it, does it matter? Am I doing anything yeah. that actually matters? I, and yeah. I think there have been a few instances where I had, had a, a polite interaction with somebody and, and actually they ended up going away and saying, gee, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for, for providing that information. I, it is possible to change yeah. people's minds if they're not fixed. Sure. Uh, but, but I would say more than nine times out of 10, you can give people peer reviewed, published scientific information, uh, you know, from, uh, meta analyses of blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, and they're like, well, I just don't believe that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's like dealing with, I'm sorry if I piss anybody off, but it's like dealing with anti-vaxxers. Sure. Yeah. No, you won't piss people off anti-vaxxers. No, <laughs> but it is, it is like, in fact, Michelle Mitten, one of my favorite people on earth. I talk about her all the time. She wrote that great paper that was where anti-vapors and anti-vaxxers meet. And it's one of yes. my favorite things I've ever read. One of my favorite things. I have to go back and reread that. It's I remember good. that. It's a Michelle Mitten piece, so it's a novel, but it's really good. She's a great writer. She just writes for uh, you know long, long periods of time. But see, mm. so to answer your question, I feel like that is a good thing, and I feel like it's worth it because even if you don't see the effects, even if you leave a comment uh, for the American Heart Association and nobody interacts with you and you don't change any minds, you're still having an effect because it's sort of breaking into their, you know, their bubble, so to speak. Like we always talk about how we need to get out of the vape space bubble and get to the general public and and talk to them. That's, I feel like where people are going to see it. If there's an American heart association tweet, and then the first response with the most likes is Charles Gardner saying, the data that I, you know, this data shows this, 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 that, and the other. I think that's a really beneficial thing because you instantly are getting two two viewpoints. Like you might have followed the American Heart Association for one reason, but now that you're seeing this tweet that kind of, I don't know, you don't, that's you fine. never know who it's gonna 
uh, impact. You don't know who it's going to inspire. You don't know who it's going to, you know, maybe one person saw one tweet that you did and that inspired them to finally call their senator or something, you know, and, about a flavor ban. So, yeah, I think anywhere you can slide in with facts and science and, and uh, on Twitter or social media is a good thing. I, I, I would say also, um, I mean, I, I hope that and that's kind of the way I, I think that, OK, maybe somebody will see this. Yeah. Somebody will see yeah. that this is not the only viewpoint. But more important for me has been um, I guess I've been on Twitter for geez, more than three years now. And uh, I've learned. So I've, I've learned from the whole Twitter community and I've learned about this really complicated space where people are disagreeing uh, about prohibition and tobacco harm reduction and safer nicotine. And, mm-hmm. and it's like this, con- it's like I go there because it, I feel like I, it, it taps the pulse. So, for example, I see brain fog was was in three weeks ago, and now it's gone. No like, more nobody's fog. talking about brain fog. No. Then um, nobody's talking about teen vaping epidemic anymore, no. really, much. Yeah. Um, they still say, you know, things like alarmingly high numbers, you know, uh, messaging right, like that. Right, still epidemic. Okay, it's just epidemic dropped. adjacent. It's, it's like at least 29% drop in one year, but it's still epidemic. Right. So what? It's not even an infectious disease. So in what way is it? The only, the only way that it's like an epidemic is that epidemics eventually end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. 100%. Well, and it was a fad. Uh, like, was a fad. I feel like we know that now that it was mostly a fad and it was mostly youths quitting smoking (laughs) that's a huge portion of it i don't i i feel like it would be disingenuous to think otherwise that kids weren't using these to quit smoking because they definitely were grim i i was in middle school and high school in the 1970s okay so fun just to date just to date myself (laughs) so one year there was a frisbee fed yeah and that was out the next year and then there uh, there was a marbles fed. Marbles. We all had to get marbles. Yeah. We were trading marbles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the next year that was out. And the next year there was a skateboard. Yeah. Fad. Yeah. Yeah. And we all got skateboards, like begged our parents to pay, you know, the money to get a skateboard, skateboard. and fads come and go. Absolutely. In, that age. Hi, fidget uh, spinners. What did everybody think fidget spinners were going to hang out for a oh, number yeah. of years? Right. That was a flash in the pan fad. And people were there was right. fidget spinners everywhere. I went to Disneyland and it's like, "Oh, get your Mickey Mouse fidget spinners." And all these kids in line of all the rides are just sitting there with fidget spinners. Yeah, no fidget one, spinner sales increased 1,400%. Yeah. <laughs> That's alarming. Yeah, that is alarming. And then the next year <laughs> Not a fidget spinner to be found anywhere. Right. I think it's unfortunate that vaping kind of happened in this uh, internet age. I think if vaping had existed in the 80s, it would have been a different story. Or maybe in the 90s, it would have been a different story. But I think with the internet, things escalated so quickly as far as uh, companies just just popping up and using whatever advertising and making whatever claims they right. want. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I, 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 
this sounds wrong, but I blame the teens. I blame them too. Because they were advertising to each other. And I remember seeing this on YouTube in the 2018 time frame. Um, and I, I remember going, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> uh, sh shit. Shouldn't YouTube shut this down because that kid is like 15? Yeah, that was... Uh... And like they were advertising because teens talk to other teens. Yeah. Just because it was on YouTube or on a social media platform... I mean, they could have been having the same same conversation at school. Yeah. But a lot of that get, gets blamed on uh, the vape companies. But yeah, I don't think most of those kids were I don't think any of those kids were paid social media influencers. Mm, not a chance. Well, and so that that popped it up. But, you know, if you if you actually look at the numbers in 20, uh, if 2013, 2014 teen vaping increased, did it? And 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 by the way, same years, teen smoking plummeted three times faster than historical trends. Yeah. 2015, 2016, teen vaping decreased. For whatever reason. Mystery. And the decline in teen smoking slowed by half. And then teen vaping increased in 2017 uh, and 18. By a lot, actually. Yeah. And that's that's what sounded the alarms in the FDA, the claim of an epidemic. Yeah. And teen vaping plummeted four times faster than historical trends in, in that time. Yeah. Teen smoking, then, rather. Teen, teen smoking plummeted four times faster than historical trends. Yeah. I mean, uh, and then teen vaping um, plummeted in 2019 and 2020. Yep. And... Unfortunately, according to the Monitoring the Future survey, teen smoking increased. Yeah. Teen smoking increased? I mean... It's almost like cause and effect. It's almost as if these are product substitutes. <laughs> almost. You could look at the data and almost draw that conclusion, Troy. <laughs> almost draw that conclusion. But I mean, that's... I mean, that's verifiable stuff. You can see... Wherever vaping goes, smoking drops, and wherever vaping leaves, smoking goes back up. There's this is right. demonstrable so in so many states. In San Francisco, even they were one of the they were the first to have a flavor ban, and they were the first state or the first city in the state to see their cigarette sales go back up because of it, as a direct result. Yeah. Young adult smoking increased uh, quite significantly. Yeah, there. Yeah. And basically, wherever you've had a flavor ban, smoking, uh, but the data is better on, on cigarette sales. Um, cigarette sales have increased. So yeah. Washington State, Rhode Island, Nova Scotia, New York. And what am I forgetting? Basically, everywhere where, where it's been measured. Yeah. Shocking. It's absolutely shocking. shocking. Absolutely shocking. And shocking, this Wall Street Journal art article that came out, um, wonderful piece um and it it shows uh, a terrible truth which is that cigarette sales have strengthened dramatically in this country mm -hmm. and it pointed the finger in the right direction yeah it was a pandemic yeah everybody's sitting at home and they're they're worried and frustrated so they're smoking more but it was also because e-cigarette taxes had been increased in many states yep. 
flavors had been banned Health in food. many ways in many states. And and, you know, what what the article didn't mention was the massive misinformation around Evoli. Evoli. Well, remember when it first started, it, they called it VAPI. You remember that? V-A-P-I? That would have been better. Then they changed but, it to But it really, Evoli. there's no T. Mm-mm. There's no T in either one there's of those. There's no T in either one of those. Well, in fact, and that's frustrating. Sh- you know, we've been going for a while here. We should probably start wrapping we this should- up. Yeah, the CDC is frustrating. How how did the CDC get away with not warning cannabis users that the products that they might be buying could be killing them, but then completely pinned that on flavored nicotine? How did they get away with that? By by <laughs> March by March of 2020, fewer THC vapors were aware that bootleg THC vapes were risky then six months before that, and more legal nicotine vapors thought that their products might be the cause of the so-called Evoli. It's, it's this, talk about misinfodemic. Misinfodemic. That, that spread worldwide. Yeah. And continues. Everywhere. It's like, uh, it's like um, you know, a massive volcanic explosion where the, the seismic... Echo keeps, yeah. keeps going round and round the world. Just raining ash all over Australia, all over uh, the Netherlands, all over Ireland, all over you know, all these places that are implementing uh, or attempting to implement these flavor bans now. And I mean, you see it. Australia is dealing with very similar things. And I feel like this is, you know, like we talked about earlier, it's a very global issue. There's vape or harm reduction orgs in, in every country. You know, at least I follow as many as I can on Twitter and it really is it really is like a global 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 thing now global global thing now absolutely you know? and everyone uh should join their local nicotine user organization in the united states it's casa god bless them yeah god bless casa uh, globally it's inco yes the International Network of Nicotine Consumer Organizations, and on their website you can find the the organization in your country. And some of them are just a few people. Yeah. Some of them are quite large and well organized. Yeah. The organization in Spain held a demonstration with twenty thousand really? people. Wow. Twenty thousand people. I believe it was in Madrid. Wow. That's not a small no, deal that's nothing so, to blow your nose at that's so a big deal organize. yeah we can't organize we have, we have we have friends in other countries mm-hmm. and there, there's a lot we can learn from each other mm-hmm. every country is doing one dipshit policy yep. or another 100 percent. my french every country is dealing with some with the exception of maybe the uk that's kind of it Maybe the UK, maybe New Zealand has some positive maybe stuff. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. But with the exception of those two, it's like every other country has some sort of burdensome restriction uh, on vaping, whether it's superfluous, like a two mil bottles, only two mil bottles are allowed. What does that, yeah. what does that do? What does that accomplish? That's a useless rule. But everywhere else has like a pretty burdensome or upcoming burdensome 
yeah. regulations. And I mean, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to get worse. I've been saying that for years. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But it is nice to know that we have allies all over the world, that there's advocacy yes. happening all over the world, that there are legitimate. I mean, I hate to use the term legitimate, but scientists and doctors like you, you know, like you mentioned, Peloza and Farsalinos and international doctors and scientists that are on our side, the side of harm reduction and science. And so that's kind of one of those things that helps keep me motivated when it feels like something smaller than David versus something bigger than Goliath. You know? Yeah, just I think it, it it's incremental and it's you don't notice it from one month to the next. No, but it actually is growing very much. It is. It's growing. And we will win. We will win. We will win. We will win. I do believe that it's going to take uh, perseverance, though. It's going to take perseverance. It's going to take leaving one comment at a time on the American. <laughs> you know, or just one more tweet, one more tweet, one tweet at a time. All right. Well, it's also going to take more evidence. It, it is. But thankfully, we have that in spades. Um, I'm going to throw some links down in the description to uh, I'll, I'll, your Twitter is going to be down there. And as well as the uh, and I've used this a lot, that Google Doc that was made up Chauncey, of, of all the yeah, studies. But Chauncey's, Chauncey's uh, Twitter feed is. Not yes, that's public. right. That's right. We'll, we'll change. We'll. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put other links down in the description as well. <laughs> but to that Google Doc, was that your curated Google Doc with all of the studies on it? Yes. Like 300 plus studies? Uh, wait, Google Doc. Um, it's either a Google Doc or a Google page or... There's a Safer Nicotine wiki, the wiki which yeah. has been created by other people like... Uh, I'll get their names wrong, but Alan Baird and, and others. Uh, Richard... Bucker, um, um, what's her name? Anyway... Um, yeah, don't remember. Yeah, um, like fantastic, incredible, great people. Anybody can go in there and add uh, scientific uh, papers and links to those papers and, and strengthen. Yes. It's a wiki. It's a wiki, yeah. No, but uh, what I thought you were talking about is the Google Doc that lists about 35 scientific and public health organizations with uh, hyperlinks to their um, quoted yes. public statements on the, on the relative safety of, of e-cigarettes. Yes, that too. Yeah, that Yeah. We'll put that down in the description. I'll have some links down in the description. Um, we're going to wrap this up because we've been, we've been going way too long, Charles. Sorry. Running long. It's okay. A lot of good information out there. Um, like I said, thank you guys so much for coming out, hang out, and uh, you know, absorb some some high quality information from Charles here. Um, thank you for being for taking the time, Charles. I don't want to take up your whole night, but thank you for being here. Appreciate it. Uh, open invite, you know, if you ever feel the need, like you, you see something on Twitter, you want, you're just dying to talk about, hit me up. We can get you on YouTube. Oh, and we can talk about it. And we're going to start a GoFundMe for a new laptop for Charles as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just it's giving you hard. <laughs> it's still fine. Buy it for life. Most of the, most of the keys are worn away, so I can't even see what the letter is. That's fine. You, you just type by sense of smell, you know, it's easy yeah, to exactly. do. Hey, thank you so much. Uh, my pleasure to have you on. Uh, again, open-ended invite. Appreciate you being here. Um, everybody else, thank you so much for coming out. I, I really appreciate it. I didn't get to get any of these super chats, but I want to thank you, uh, Rising Phoenix Vapory, Sexy King Phil, uh, and Freedom Issue. 
Really appreciate you guys uh, being here, being part of the cause. Remember that an informed vapor is an effective vapor. And get out there and spread the truth. Spread the truth butter all over the place. And uh, remember that no matter what anybody tells you, especially people like Mike Bloomberg or, uh, you know, the American Medical Association, vaping is at least 95% less harmful for you than burning and inhaling deadly combustible tobacco cigarettes. So no matter what's in your hand, you guys, let's keep on vaping. Be excellent to each other. Peace out, everybody. <laughs>